Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach. John John and Nathan Florence have both been using Whoop for over three years now to balance their training both in and out of the water. Now, Whoop is introducing the all-new Whoop 4.0, the latest, most advanced fitness wearable in the market. Monitor your recovery, sleep, training and health with personalized recommendations and coaching feedback with Whoop. Train smarter, recover faster, sleep better and now feel healthier with Whoop. The all-new 4.0 is smaller, smarter and designed with new biometric tracking including skin temperature, blood oxygen and more. The device also features an all-new smart alarm designed to wake you up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. Plus, it was designed with their Anywhere technology, so you can wear it with their Whoop body sensor enhanced technical garments. The all-new Health Monitor dashboard gives you a big picture look at your overall health. Monitor key metrics like heart rate, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, skin temperature, and blood oxygen levels. Plus, see improvements in irregularities and vital signs over time. You can even export 30-day health trends to share with your coach, trainer, PT, PCP, or physician. The all-new waterproof device is free when you sign up for a Whoop 4.0 membership. For any members, if you have six months left of your membership on your account, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. And right now, Whoop is offering 15% off when you use the code BEACHGRIT at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com, and enter B-E-A-C-H-G-R-I-T at checkout to save 15%. Hello and welcome to Dirty Water. I'm Derek Riley. I'm with Charlie Smith, and today's guest is one of surfing's great living treasures. Described in the encyclopedia of surfing as chubby, bearish, and with a hair trigger temper, he was there at the birth of the surf industry in Torquay in 1969, first selling wetsuits to Rip Curl, then as a sponsored shredder for offshoot board short company Quicksilver. In 1976, and shortly before a two-year stint in jail, he was Australia's most highly paid surfboard shaper. Through the 70s and into the 80s, with black long hair, long bobbed and flying, he was one of the world's best surfers. And long before it became a byword for beach break barrels, he moved to Hossegor, France, and it was here he met an American expat, a soon-to-be world champ called Tom Curran. Their friendship peaked with Curran's 1990 world title on our guest boards and the reverse V design of 1991. He pioneered towing board design and surfing wild offshore reefs with Noah Johnson and Ross Clark Jones. And for a time there, with his happy koala bear logo, was the most in-demand shaper in the world, Kelly Slater, a vocal fan. In 2003, he became a part of a mega surfboard company called Base, which would collapse eight years later, million dollars, millions of dollars in debt, and leaving our guest, in his own words, disillusioned, bitter and twisted, and in a very dark place. Perhaps his most marked characteristic is his extraordinary ability to go right to the heart of a problem and reduce difficulties to the right proportion. Today's guest, Morris Cole. Hey. Hello, mate. I'm definitely not chubby anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those turning negatives into positives. Yeah. How are you, everyone? Yeah, it's been a. Oh, it's good to see you, Maurice. Hey, the last time I spoke to you was two years ago. Yeah, that was the last time. I think it was. Yeah, before lockdown, and um, 
So I'll, I'll kick off, and I'll uh, because I I think right now I'm in one of the most exciting periods of my life, just creative wise, design wise, philosophically, blah 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 blah. But I thought I'd give you a quick, really quick rundown of my life since then, and I've got to stay away from one subject because it's not resolved. But I'll give you a little taste of it. So I last did it. I was when I last left home. Uh, here and I was in a pretty dark place and then I just jumped on a plane went to Hawaii went to California just did this two-month trip it was just pure magic you know and um, it was just I ended up in France back through Japan I came home I was so just energized and just going wow how good's the world how good's the my global network of family and friends and how, how wonderful is the world? Yeah, and I had to do some tests, um, do some tests. So two days before Christmas, I found out for the third time I had cancer again in the same place. I, the tumour had come back for the third time. So that sort of was that sort of put a little dent in things because um, they said this time, wow, third time, same place. Anyhow, long story short, had an injection, couldn't even get off the couch to go to Christmas um, to Christmas dinner because I the the hormones real. I had to have a hormone shot. Anyhow, long story. I'm going to try and make this really really short. So, and all of a sudden, so now I'm going. Oh hell, I got cancer again. What does this mean? What are the options? Third time, twice I've been given two years to live. Then there's this there's this thing as some people would call it a mild. Co- cold or a flu just popped onto the horizon, you know, this thing called COVID. So I had to have a really good look at this COVID thing and being who and what I am, I went down a lot of rabbit holes and realised this is serious shit. Uh, Pandemics are serious shit. But anyhow, so I'm starting to prepare and we're going into lockdown and there's confusion on the planet. But all of a sudden... All of a sudden, I um, I did a went back to my urologist, and he wasn't too happy with the way the hormones were working. That was in April, and then in May, all of a sudden, I got it was just amazing. I started pissing a lot, and it was hurting. It was like pissing razor blades, and it went from once every couple of hours to once. Every 10 minutes, I had to go outside and yell and scream and, oh, piss and just squirt out. So this incredible miracle happened that a guy, a Rasta, a black Rasta man from Jamaica, I'd been surfing with man six years before I took him surfing, had contacted me to get some boards because he's got a friend in, in California who I make boards for, Gregory Ackle. Anyhow, so Kirk got a hold of me and... Uh, he wanted to get some boards also he's one of the top pelvic surgeons in the world just happens to be out of uh, out of uh, what is it uh, Prince Andrew's hospital in Sydney uh, anyhow so long story short he I got a hold of him and I said I last night it was every 10 minutes I had to get up and piss and scream so I hadn't slept for a couple of weeks so all of a sudden he said, okay, what could happen is you might have the tumours pushing on your bladder and bowel. Now, what I want you to do is, is piss in a bottle, 
And every night, and if you see any blood in the bottle, you've got 30 minutes to get um, to a hospital, to get to emergency because you're hemorrhaging. And I go, oh, <laughs> that sounds serious. And he goes, well, yeah, if it's what, what we think it is, yeah. So all of a sudden i got to do all these tests. So for the next 10 days while I get MRIs and do all of this stuff, I'm waking up every 10 to 15 minutes cross-eyed looking at my piss and trying to work out if there's any flex, flex of blood in there because from where I live, it, it will take me 26 minutes to get to emergency. I've timed it, yeah. So I went through all of that, then lockdown come, and I couldn't go up there to him and get operated on. I couldn't go and see him in Sydney. So I did all of these tests, and at that stage there, there was a hell of a lot of praying and, uh, you know, like there was a real positive energy, believe it or not, <laughs> you know, and I was, I've never been in so much pain. We actually thought this was it. You know, I thought I had probably a, a four weeks to six weeks to live and had planned that way. My son actually contacted a whole bunch of friends and said, you better call him quick. This is it because he was with me the whole time. Anyhow, long story short, I'm sitting with my son and all of a sudden I got a, a phone call. Kirk, Dr. Kirk Austin he goes, mum, he's sitting down and I go, ah, oh, fuck, here we go. And he goes, the tumours have disappeared. I had two. And he goes, the tumours have disappeared anyhow. So um, it was like, what? What do you mean the tumours have disappeared? And I said, well, what is this stuff I've been pissing? What's, what's been the problem? And he goes, well, we've run it by a lot of experts in Sydney. There's a board up there made up of uh, surgeons and urologists. And they said, you've got staff. We've never heard of it in men hear of it in women you know um but you've got staff and that's what you've been doing so a couple of months later yeah fantastic so back to work back to everything dodged another bullet um then long story short then i got diabetes i fell off the, the bandwagon ate too much sugar got diabetes not just diabetes i mean i was 26 out of 33 they did the doctor actually said, you're two days to five days from lapsing into a coma. And he said, forget about your cancer. The diabetes is way worse. So out of that, I was hitting 97 kilos, pretty depressed, not getting enough boards done, blah, blah, blah. Just life was, life was very, very uh, upside down. So anyhow, long story short, I get through the diabetes this year and um, – Oh, lost 12 kilos. I'm back. I'm designing better than I've ever designed with these to concaves. I've done hybrids. I've, I've done short boards, guns, narrow boards, a full spectrum of shapes that now I'm back surfing and I'm light enough to surf. Yep. And I'm getting to my feet. I've gone back into training. I've just cleaned my diet up. Uh, I've got the diabetes. The, guy, the doctor was amazed. I just said, fuck it. I've been to war with cancer. Bring on this diabetes too. Fucking bring this shit on. So just so you know, I'm, I've got it fully under control. Uh, life's looking damn good. I just can't wait to get out and travel. I've never, ever done this much work on fins, fin shapes, fin placements, fin designs relative to all the new stuff I'm doing. 
uh, in the way of I've got some brand new stuff that no one's seen yet. Nick Carroll has, has been writing them. I've got these flip flute flyers. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, that's what I like to, to, to sort of get across to people. You know, no matter how bad it seems, no matter how bad it looks, there's always a solution and it's always in your hands. And it's a lot to do with just attitude and, you know, like a lot of people go, God, you sound so negative, you know. And I go, well, that's part of what I do is I like to visit the worst case scenario and sort of live it. And even if I talk about it, because then as my family's understood and close friends, then they go, oh, look, he's in deep shit. Wow. How's he going to get out of this one? You know, how's he going to dodge this bullet? You know, and uh, so here I am. I've just dodged another, I don't know how many bullets in the last two years, but you're actually talking to a guy now that's, uh, you know, I, I'm a buzz. I'm a, I'm a light. I've got new boards. I've got new stuff coming. I've got new files being built. I've got new fins. I've got everything. It just feels like a brand new, it feels like a brand new day, a brand new life. And of course, there's all the negativity there. You know, we've got lockdowns, lockups, all the stuff, anti-vaxxers. We've got, you know, what I see, the polarising of, of it's, it's just the whole world out there, the whole secular world out there looks pretty, pretty fragmented right now and it doesn't seem to be getting much better. So, you know, on top of all this amazing stuff that's going on, you know, I'm still on that amazing spiritual quest. And that, to me, is now probably the most important thing going forward. And the rest is just all details, and it'll take care of itself. <gasps> oh, there you go, guys. Go, chat. Okay, wait. Maurice. Loved every word of that. So happy that you're not kicking into the grave yet. You're never going to kick into the grave, though. I, gotta, I mean, the first time I met you, I thought, oh, man, this is a man who's not dying, Right. Like you've got the you've you've got that thing. You're not you know, going. Ross. Ross and I have this thing. Only the good die young. And I said I'm racing him to 150 years of age. <laughs> exactly. So, at when you're 150 and I'm 149, we'll be having the same podcast. But I until so. then, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. But, yeah. But okay. So what? What like genius uh, in the surf? Have you like what? Like what in the boards? What in the thing have you like discovered in the netherworld? Well, what I've been doing is, as you know, the reverse V happened about 29, 30 years ago uh, with Tom Curran. And, you know, that we're going to re release the reverse V project, which is the book, a board, and the, the history and the story that Nick Carroll did. Three years of this intense period in time where there was the a lunatic in France, an eccentric, and I can't work out whether that was me or Tom because he is a weirdo, you know, just like me. Anyhow, so so these two weirdos meet eccentrics. One's an introvert, one's an extrovert, and no one really knows the story that, you know, we basically changed the world of surfing by doing thinner, cleaner, narrower surfboards, you know. I mean, it's really – it's pretty well documented, but no one knows – the real story. So the whole reverse V thing was a quantum leap in surfboard um, performance in that boards went faster, 
and they had a way smaller turning radius. So in actual fact, the boards were faster and they turned twice as easy and they would carve. They were carved monsters and that's what the whole reverse V was about. Built for myself and Tom or Tom and myself, however way you want to put it. So at that stage then, Tom was 70 kilos, I was 76. We could both ride the same boards. So when all of that happened, there was a quantum leap and it made me, it's always made me think ahead, what will surfboards be like in five years? How can we change them? How can we make them better? And as you know, I went down a really, really deep concaves. I mean, I've got boards here. I've got my whole collection in the background there. Uh, oh, no. What happened then? Are you still there? Yeah, we're still here, man. Oh, what did I do then? <laughs> Where are you? Where did you go? We're here. I promise. Can you hear us? Yeah, I've got you. I touched the <laughs> screen. I've got a touch screen computer. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, are you there? Yeah, we're here. And I briefly saw your surfboards. I touched it. Okay. <laughs> How do I get back onto this? We're here. Uh, you're not connected. You don't need to see us, Maurice. Just okay. Anyhow, I don't know how what I've done here, but I've had another fossil moment. But anyhow, so I've been involved in a quantum leap in surfboard design, and I'm always fascinated. I'm never happy when someone says, this is the best board I've ever ridden. And I go, well, there must be something, you know? Anyhow, so, so what I've actually done is I went down the deep concave, really deep concaves. I went out to an inch and a quarter, some of the best boards when I was still surfing short boards. Um, I actually have got a 510 that is the fastest surfboard I've ever ridden, and it just carves, and it's got an inch and a quarter of concave. So I went to all the tow boards. I went to tow boards, deep concaves. We rode, you know, that'll be coming out soon with Ross. We've got a whole um, era of, of surfing and towing waves from 15 to 30 or 40 foot on these boards. And... Um, so all of a sudden, what I've worked out is I've been playing around and, you know, I, I work a lot with Nick, Carol, and... Uh... Wait, you work, you work with Nick, not Tom? Nick, Carol. Yeah, I do more work with Nick because Nick actually is a really good friend and every board and every design I do goes through Nick first. You know, he gets a smaller version of it. I've got this thing with a flip-fluted flyer. He thinks that it enhances the performance of any and every surfboard quite a lot. Then I've gone, well, okay, I've been riding reverse for the hybrids myself, but I wanted a bit more speed and sparks. So I just spent three days shaping one myself for myself, and it's got nearly half an inch of V in the front and over a quarter of an inch, over a quarter of an inch of that, over a quarter of an inch of um, concave. And I've had it in the water now for a week. And the thing is just mind-boggling. I've made some for Nick and I'm making uh, making quite a few uh, now. I've just sent uh, a lot of files to Eric Arakawa. So all of a sudden I've got a board that just paddles so easy, makes lake takeoffs better than a single concave under your chest. Handles really strong wind and uh, bump, 
You know, we've had some really strong offshores and bumpy. When I say strong offshore, I'm talking. We've had perfect four to five, you know, double, triple overhead with yeah, forty to fifty mile an hour offshores and some bumpy stuff. I mean, we've had some, and uh, it's for the first time I'm out there. I'm really, really enjoying. I've made some incredible waves over the last month. So I've been putting boards through through their through their through their paces and I realise that I can probably because of where I've come from uh, I've come from a pretty high performance base and I'm trying to come back to that but I'm trying to ride eight foot surfboards and do it and I'm actually I've actually sort of done it this week where I just can't wait for the next six to eight foot perfect day I got a board that I'm just I haven't frothed on a board like this in years anyhow so I'm making one for Ross I'm doing the tow boards, some new tow boards. I think Ross will be better next year, hopefully. Sometimes he's still pretty out there, but he's keen to tow again. And I'm going to be doing reverse V tow boards. Uh, so, in actual fact, I can test and feel. I question where everyone's putting the twin fins on their um, on their their twins twin pins and that. So Wait, where they go? Huh? Well, they're too far back. Now. Where should okay. the where should the fins go? Well, the original the original twin fins, which I came across one that I shipped in 1981 off a Dane Kailoa board that I had, and in my memory, I said to Nick, my memory says 11 inches two was off the rail pointed. I we never wrote it down, and a couple of weeks later, I had a guy, uh, a kid came go look. My dad bought an original twin fin off you. I've still got it. We just restored it. If I could show you, if I could work out how to get onto this thing, I've got it sitting over there. And it, all of a sudden, that board, I got a, a, a twin fin off Dane Kailoa in 1980. And that year, I made the Australian titles. I got third on these little shitty lefts. I won a contest on that board at six to eight foot big bumpy bells a couple of weeks later. When I went to France with that same board, 5, 10, 20 and a quarter, 3 and a quarter, orange and yellow, Dane Colo, a twin fin. I surfed La Graviere for seven and a half hours on that board and got had the best surf of my life. Got barreled off my head first time I think La Graviere was actually getting spat out of barrels. Then I went to Newport Beach, surfed the wedge on that board. Then went to Backdoor. I had an early couple of sessions with Dane in October, on the way back home, one board. So those twin fins, you know, and it was shaped by Glenn Manami, so those twin fins were the most highly tuned small boards because we could surf them in the biggest range of waves. So all of a sudden I've got this board back. Guess what? I measured 11 inches, <laughs> 11 inches, two inches off the rail and, um, you know, pointed at the nose. And then I said to Nick, can you ask Simon Anderson what he did with his fin placements when he when he went to the thruster? So we had twins. So he actually, and you know, and this is my memory that Simon actually just put smaller smaller fins where the twin fins went, and then put a back fin. I think it was three and a quarter or three and a half, which is what uh, everybody still uses. So Warren Martin and, and um, Ryan Birch have their twin fins at nine. But Torrin uses his as a gun. 
you know, and they're at nine inches. And uh, Ryan Birch, who's, who uh, he's he's are at nine, and a couple of the local local guys here, yokels, local guys here, you know, they they're fans, you know, Sharma, Buttonshaw, Sharma, Buttonshaw. They said, oh, no, Ryan puts his at nine. And I go, well, who the fuck surfs like Ryan? I said, you, you've got to stop looking at really good surfers. I've gone back and I'm playing around. I put the fins at 11, went to 12, or went to 13 on my eight-footer, and at 13 inches, the fucking thing works unreal. So I've just changed. Because, because we're mere mortals, or some of us are mere mortals and a little bit older and, you know, have a few health issues and that, we need a little, a lot more forgiveness than those really, really good, precise, incredibly gifted surfers. So my whole are, thing are gifted surfers the death of, like, I was just a surf ranch, Miles. Yep, for I read it. Yep. Yeah, for way longer than I should have been. Trying to work it out on that wave, and it's a perfect wave, right? Have you been there? No. I can't. You know I, I actually there? said to Kelly, I can't bend that low in a, a barrel. I can't either. If I bent that low, you'd have to put me in traction. You'd have to pick me up at the end of the wave and try and straighten me out, you know. No, so I the thing I learned from round one is don't do barrel. Like, work on the face, right? Like, yeah. I tried to work out my turns. But then realizing the – I don't know. I just think boards are shaped for people not like me, right? Where yeah. there's yeah. – it felt like something – on that mechanical thing, it just felt like, I don't know, there's got to be something I could do better here than what I'm doing. Well, you, you know, what you'll do is increase the strength in your legs. <laughs> I mean, that's it. So I'm doing squats now after that. But. Yeah, no, no that's, I'm serious about that. You know, I've got a, a friend, Tack, who he's been in the pool and he just goes, man, it's such good training for your legs. And even Eric, Eric Howe, I think he just went to the Waco uh, Futures Futures Fest or something at the Waco pool. And he actually said that, you know, it was really good training for his legs. But the thing, what you're talking about, you know, I'll change subjects a little bit and explain it. Yeah. So there's this whole, there's this whole thing about mid-lengths. There's this whole thing about mid-lengths. Everyone's jumping on to mid-lengths, you know, like everyone's got a this and that with mid-lengths, you know. And I saw an article the other day that Steve Shearer wrote, you know, about mid-lengths sort of being the death of surfing. But there's two types of mid-lengths and two ways you come from it. There's, some people call the mid-lengths um, mini-males. That's what we call them over here. Because what, what they were used for was people who were just beginners on big longboards, big wideboards. They progressed down to mid-lengths because then the board would be shorter, they'd have to paddle, and that's when they'd learn to do their turns. But I make mid-lengths from a performance, from the performance end, from a performance shortboard, I'm trying to make my mid-lengths go like shortboards, really high performance. My red dingoes and, and my mid-lengths have all got more curve, they've got concaves. They're not just a, like a, a flat mini-mount. And that's my thing is I'm still trying to do turns that I did on my six threes or six nines on eight footers now, you know. So I've tried to bring in a, a much more high performance element 
into the mid-length. So there's two types of mid-lengths. There's the ones that come from the mini mouth, which is the, the beginner, and that comes down to the mid-lengths. And then we're coming from, you know, I'm coming from five tens by, you know, what did I used to ride? Five, 10, 18 and three quarters, two and three eights, like Tom did, like Curran did, six threes around there. So as I got, because I got cancer, I put on weight. I was fucking, you know, I went through all this shit and I couldn't ride my shortboards anymore. So I had to go, wow, can I make a longer board that goes, goes high performance? Yes, I could. And I think the proof's been out there. I've been doing high performance mid-lengths for 10 years or more, you know. I mean, trip at real water sports, you know, like for us, real water sports is like the, you know, that's if you can make it at real water sports and get a real review off trip, he'll give the realest. I mean, I've sent a board there and it was that bad. He said, I can't put this up there. You know, like I wouldn't do it to you because it was an experiment. It was a metro. It was a bit much for him. Anyhow. But all the other stuff I send to him. So what I've found is I am now making boards. There's no sense. There's no sense um, making boards for pros. Even when I see Torrin and, and Ryan and some of the guys riding the mid-lengths, 90% of the people can't surf like that. 90% of the people can't surf those positions, those boards, because the high-performance boards are... Uh, are not as forgiving as something that's a little bit wider, a little bit thicker. You know, that's why I love the thrusters. That's why I don't like single fins. That's why I don't like two plus ones. Thrusters are actually so much more forgiving. I've been talking to Nick a lot about it, about how single fins, you've got to be really precise. You've got to know exactly where you're going, what you're doing, because if you make a mistake, it doesn't recover like a thruster. So I've got I've got thruster setups. I've got a 10-0 red dingo over there that I hassle the fuck out of everyone on. And when it's when, yeah, when I feel in that mood, but it's a thruster. And I've seen my son surf it, he's a goofy foot. He can actually do, you know, and the thruster setup is just so superior to a single fin. But people surf single fins because it's like to me, that's like the difference between log surfing, surfing a log and just going along and trimming and nose riding, cross, you know, and there's no problem with that. But if you want to ride a, a board where you want to do re-entries and roundhouses, like, you know, I did one, I first went out at Winky Pop the day before yesterday and the first wave, I just took off and it felt that good. And I went up high and I just, you know, I got a couple of people, I think I got a shot of it somewhere, and I just buried the rail and just did a full roundhouse and backhand rear and actually made it and came around I should have stopped then because the next one I went over the falls. You know, you have those little glimmers and that's what I'm really, really fighting to get back to now. I'm doing teaser. I'm, I've been really working on my body and everything like that. But the mid-length thing, you know, I've been reading so much about it. And, you know, it's just like there's a real – it's like, hey, whoa, it's misinformation. <laughs> you can't categorize all all the mid lengths into one thing. And I noticed that everyone's doing it. Uh, I noticed there's a couple of big brands out there doing twin pins. For fuck's sake, guys, the twin pins I've been using for more than two years and been making them for real water sports. Twin pins, twin pins. Yeah. What should the what should the average surfer be riding? A thruster, well, a twin. Um. Oh, the, 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 
Rust is average a lot. on their average break, right? Which is I think I think I don't think you can I don't think you can go wrong with a thruster, even a quad to a point, even though the quads do not carve down as well. The quads don't transition as well as a thruster. Um, you know, it's just up to everybody's level of surfing and where they want to go. If they're trying to go out and just make some waves, just you know, do sole arches and cruise down the line and not really do any turns, well, you can probably use a two plus one, you know. But if you really, really want to start pushing your surfing and learn, you know, like I, I can't believe that I can surf an eight-foot surfboard like I do in two-foot, three-foot waves. And that was just this week. I mean, it sort of shocked me and it just re-energised this whole thing. The board worked. I spent three days doing it. Wow. I've changed my fins around. I've put fins 13 and a half. I've been playing around because I I've got a movable fin system. But by the time someone gets their fins in a board, I've already worked out where there's a good average. But you know, by tuning your fins in, it's just people don't even understand the difference that good fins can make and the position of the fins. But that's what I've noticed just recently is there's a bit of sheepishness going going on out there where no one's testing or doing anything or trying stuff. There's a lot of people just following really good surfers because the media pushed the brands, pushed the surfers, you know, and... Um, Sort of, it's sort of nearly like misinformation, Chaz, to what you were talking about. If you're an average surfer, be really, really careful of going down that rabbit hole. You're not going to ever surf as well as Torrin or uh, any of those guys or Devin Howard. Uh, sorry if I'm missing people, but you know, Michael February. That, that's what I was looking at. I didn't yeah. surf as good as Michael February. Yeah. Well, you know, he, you know, and 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 what I do is now I've got a, a whole. Uh, group of surfers that have been riding the boards anywhere from 20 to 40 years and they're all really good surfers just good surfers you know they're never going to win a contest or anything that's where i'm getting all my feedback from i'm getting all my feedback I, I, the last thing i need is pros so you know the, <laughs> well, I actually, morris, morris what about your celebrity uh, clientele you get some a pretty impressive yeah look. yeah but, i knew you'd bring that up look i've i just <laughs> I've got yes, that, and I'm not, not going to drop their names, and I'm not going to go there. But yes, I have a group of uh, like-minded people who I find very creative and innovative people, some very original people out of Hollywood, Malibu, and um, I've got a, a great friend who I'm making. You know, I think we haven't announced it yet, but you know, there is a documentary of my life coming, and it's going to be told through surfboards how I made surfboards when I moved to Torquay. Then I moved to France, yeah, and what happened there. And then I moved to Margaret River, which was all towing and a lot of crazy stuff in Margaret River. And then I've come back to Torquay, and sort of now I, I sort of feel like I'm a global citizen more than Australian sometimes. Um, how is this not a beach grip, beach grip production? Nice. How is this not a beach grip production? Beach well, grip presents. Well, mate, how much money have you got? Enough. <laughs> we got you. No, but just so you know, what I've what I've got is I've got um this really cool company in England, uh, Innovisions, and they've actually contracted Peter Baker. The guy wants to download my brain on board design and surfing. 
which means it take. I've actually got the hundreds board I shaped here. I've got a whole collection of surfboards over in the corner there that date back to 1971. So I've got a pretty incredible collection of boards. And I'm going to try and tell my life story through making all of these boards and these amazing periods in my life, moving to Torquay, going to France, going to Margaret River, coming back to Torquay. And, that, and then cashing in on, you know, the reverse fee, getting to Japan. Hawaii's been part of my DNA since 1973. Um, you know, so it's a way of visiting all those places and telling stories through a technical you know, I think I'm, I don't know of anybody who's got a st stronger technical basis than me. You know, you'd have to speak to Nick about something like that. But I find it very hard to talk to a lot of people because they don't know what I'm talking about. When I talk about old stories about fins and single fins, two plus ones, you know, like, you know, I saw Ross, uh, Ross last week. Um, uh, Ross and we, we're talking about, you know, like, I, I'll be fit enough to tow again next year. You know, but I think I can probably only go to about 20 feet. So I've got a got a real mission to do reverse the tow boards. Uh, I really, really, really want to uh, start telling the stories of where where I came from, how it all happened. I mean, you're actually talking to a guy here. There's a, a really good podcast I did, except I was pissed. And it, it's pretty fucking raunchy to say the least. And it's um, the horse's mouth. Tiggy, and one of the things I talk about was was when I grew up surfing, there were no wetsuits, and I grew up in Warnable. The water fucking temperature was eight degrees Celsius. In winter, we used to surf for two to three hours in a pair of football shorts and a short sleeve jumper, football jumper, and we didn't. Know, I didn't know what hypothermia was, but when you went blue, you had to come in because you couldn't carry your board up the beach. And it would take you hours to warm up. And if you went into the shower, warm shower, you'd get that horrible hurty thing. So here I still am, guys, talking to you. And I actually came from Malibu surfboards, longboards, and was surfing in, a, in an area warnable, which is colder than here, uh, you know, Bells and that. It's on the West Coast. And just the passion of going surfing was that we'd surf for two to three hours just howling wind, freezing cold, rain and hail. And, and here, we're, here I am now, how long is that? 50, 55 years later, you know, like over half a century. And it's just incredible, the journey from, no, from a pair of footy shorts. You know, a young kid found this incredible thing called surfing. And the minute I did it, it's a bit like that Andy Irons thing, the first wave he ever caught. He just knew that, it's, and it was the same for me. I can remember the first wave I caught. I can remember the effect on me. It just, I could do it. First second, I just stood up and went, just was just, as that 12-year-old kid in Warrnambool, and this week and the other week, I've had, you know, I've been working really, really hard on design and everything, and all of a sudden, it's just, it's just this, this incredible energy and this creativeness and innovativeness has come back. And of course, then you've got the uh, old opinionated uh, surfer, or hang on, the old opinionated fossil. But, you know, along the journey, my life experiences have led to a lot of different opinions to, about 
different things from design, from all the blah, blah in the industry, you know, and that's why I'm always attracted to these things. You get the 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 outrageous, the completely outrageous, and then sometimes it's so fucking outrageous you want to jump through and fucking grab. <laughs> I gave that up last week. Yeah, I'm told to do that shit. What did you give away last week? Huh? What did you? So every when you look away from the um, computer screen, the mic doesn't get your voice. So um, you're gonna have to talk straight into the mic. Oh, yep. So what? What did okay. we? What, what did, did I say then? What did I miss then? What? Did, Oh, you said some mysterious story about something happening last week. Well, last week, it was like one of those weeks where all the planet aligned. You know, and I had all my experience and my theory went into this making this surfboard. I spent three days making this thing two to three weeks ago. Yeah. And I've been waiting for it. And I just virtually put my whole, everything that I've ever done and ever in my whole shaping and designing career, I've never spent three hours, three days on a pre-shape and I whittled it down, you know, like Eric Arakow, Timmy Patterson seen me, uh, Matt seen me a bit. I love getting pre-shape. This is when they talk about hand shapes. I can spend two or three hours on a pre-shape and I'll change slightly and it's all gut feel and eye and that's what I really enjoy is having a really consistent basis and I just did this 7-Eleven for myself. And uh, last week, first surf went, wow. Second surf was, wow, wow. And then the last surf I had on this was yesterday, and it was four or five foot bells, really bumpy. Um, and the thing was just startling. And so what I'm saying is what happened last week is, Sometimes you put your ass on the line, and I've done it. I do it to myself. I'm my worst critic. I'm my worst, you know, like, you know, people who know me, I get down on myself, you know, like, I, I just really, really, I'm as good as the last board I shaped or designed. That's how I feel like that old boxer. And everything else that's happened in the past, that's, that's been gone. You know, I'm not going to never live on the, uh, the past laurels. So I'm really interested in, in just blazing away trying to create deep V's to concaves and, and, and a whole different fin position. And I've already done it. So this week was all about that. I've had the board. I've ridden it as a twin. I've ridden it as a thruster. And then I went down to when it's small. I put the smallest fins you've ever seen because I can use a lot more smaller fins than anybody else because I have a, a concave and edge the way I do my shaping. It's just you can use much smaller fins, <clears throat> which means boards go fast, less bedded surface area. So it's just reevaluating everything and where we're going to. And I just feel like I've never been in a, a stronger position where I've got an incredible foundation of technical stories and expertise and virtually from arriving in France and going, wow, now I've got to design boards for <laughs> barrels. Now I've got to, you know. I mean, now I've got this, one of the classics was La Nour or the North at, at Hossegore. I mean, I was one of the first guys to really have a crack out there. And I used to paddle out there and it'd be eight to ten foot perfect, top to bottom and fucking, well, that board didn't. I remember I made a board with too much curve and I couldn't paddle in properly and I went over the falls a few times, made a board and instead of going 
into the barrel. It wanted to go up too much girt. And I smashed it to pieces in the car park. And it wasn't really out of anger. It was just so no one else would ride that. You know what I mean? Like the trial and an erroring that went on there until finally I worked out and I brought my boards back from Hawaii and brought seven sixes and eight footers and eight sixes. Then we went to nine footers and we, that's, that's how big the north was. So in all that period, here I am trying to, just trying to work out how shit works, you know. And then, of course, you know, People ask me, have you ever had one board? And I go, yeah, i got one board that stands out head and shoulders about any I've ever had in my life. And everybody who's been with me from Curran to Elko to Carlin to anybody, Todd Lee, will talk about my 6.8. It is this tube riding board, mate. It's never, it's never spun out. It's never, it's been, it's 13 years, every barrel in France I got on this board. And when I check it out again, it, it's, yeah, I want to ride it again. So the whole idea of pioneering and new waves, new board designs, and that's what Ross and I have been talking about. Because we, we started, and even with Wayne Lynch, we started panelling out on reefs and doing stuff that no one had ever done before. But it was so exciting. It was so fresh it was so new it was a challenge to be done you know and I was just telling the story yesterday of a, a, a left that Wayne and I paddled out onto fuck how long ago just after I got back from Hawaii so it was when I had the gun so it was 75 and it's been well documented I mean we paddled out to this wave and when we got out there it was 15 to 18 foot then the swell came up then it was 20 then it was 25 it's glassy we didn't have any leg ropes or anything like that. If you wipe out, you're fucking dead. It's like when Ross and I have towed some of the big onshore days. If if I make a mistake, we're fucking dead. It's not like there's anyone there to help you. And then this particular day with Wayne, you know, I went over a wave that I would say I went over a wave. I've never been so scared in all my life. The black line appeared. It went, the swell came up when we were out there. And, you know, I went over, I think, a 40-foot wave. Just fucking, just couldn't even, you know, it was a big black line coming. And we started off at 15, 18, 20, 25, 30, 40 feet. And, you know, one of the great things, as always, is when you get back to the fucking beach. <laughs> I am alive. I get to tell the story. And that's sort of, that's sort of the whole uh that's where I struggle now a little bit because we pioneered so many different types of waves, had to build the equipment for it. It's like when Ross came to me and said, I want you to make me a 5.9 that'll go from 8 to 80 feet. And that's it. That's the brief. It took me three years or it took us three years, but I got it. You know what I mean? And, and that's the challenges that, it just, it just makes every day exciting. And it's just like, you know, like even with Noah Johnson, you know, the, the boards that I made him eight to nine years ago, the guns where I've had reverse Vs and I've had these big chine rails when Noah surfs three and three quarters thick, you know, and he tests them. We did quads. We did C-drive quads. I put my quads so far up the board, everyone was tripping out. But guess what? When I spoke to Noah this year, 
when he had that big um you remember that that big day at Himalayas John John got that wave mm. um, and well Noah was on the boat running water security and when that big wave came through that closed out where the jet ski went fucking flying into the air you have a look over on the inside peak there's Noah Johnson's trying to catch the fucking thing and actually he made this fantastic quote he just said hey hey bro They've nearly caught up to us, you know, when you know what I mean. So it, it's not a, an ego thing. It's nothing like that. It's just I'm a little bit home alone when it goes to pushing the design envelope, you know. And one of the things is I honestly believe that being a, a pretty reasonable surfer when I was young and still holding a reasonable surfing level, that I'm still on my boards the best test pilot. You know, Noah, no, I mean, I'm not doing Noah's stuff. I'm not fucking paddling at Jaws or anything like that. Noah can do that. I mean, that'd kill me. But up to about 15 feet, it's just, uh, I feel like I'm. it's party time, you know. It's like, fuck, things hard. It's just like, like, and then I look at the tour and then I look at what's going on and I look at what's going out there. And yeah. If I get too much into that, it really, really depresses me. <laughs> why, why does it depress you? Um, it just depresses me for what surfing's become, you know. It's just, it depresses me that once upon a time, and maybe that, I'm not sure if the era, the era of, of pioneering, being re- really creative, innovative, and not just having, you know, the big teams and, you know, big sales and, you know, I call that penis syndrome, you know, how big is your dick, you know? Like, does anyone really care except your wife? Maybe she doesn't either, you know, but you just sort of, there's just so much, um, so much mediocrity out there that is pushed forward as like some cutting edge. It's like technologies. We've talked about this, you know. I mean, one of the things that I'm, I'm going to do is, I'll get back onto this story, is this group of InnoVisions in the, in the UK uh, has contracted Peter Baker. They want to download all of my design stuff, right, into a 20, 25-minute documentary. But I've spoken to Nick, and I think what I'll do is, is do five-minute spiels on what fins are, what rocker lines are, you know, what what rails do, what different bottom shapes do, blah, 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 blah. From my perspective, you know, and there'll be a fair bit of controversy in it because, um, come on, guys, how do I say it? The mediocre world that's being touted out there as, uh, you know, the new cutting edge. I don't want to fucking hear about technology or ways of making surfboards. I want to fucking get people get shapers like Ryan Birch and everything to just call bullshit on everything we've done and create something new. If you want to go and have a look at one of the most amazing sports on the planet right now, it's the GP50s. I am, I'm, I'm, it's just mind-boggling that there's these foil GP50s and they're all the different countries are going for it. The progress they've made in that is mind-boggling. Then you look at the America's Cup this year, and those boats, they've gone to a single hop. There's this aerodynamic base. And I look at things like that and I'm just, you know, I, I, I can't wait for the next GP50. I can't wait to see the America's Cup. But 
it's very, very rare you'll get me to watch any surfing. Even I just look, I'm too critical of it, too critical of the calves and tones and, you know, like there just seems to be a couple of surfers out there that are just smashing everybody else and most people seem to be just happy to make making a wage and just cruising along. We've had the talk about, you know, Australian surfing has been decimated or the talent's been decimated by a really shitty system of, uh, you know, with Surfing Australia and the way we're just, you know. Has Surfing Australia produced anything? $6 million a year? Oh, anyhow. Don't, don't get me started on all that shit. It's a really broken system and it does not work. It's a waste of time and money. To, to me, it looks you, like a bit of a scam, scam and a gravy train. There you go. Do you, yeah. do you think, though, that the, like, the possibility for progression exists in surfing like it does in the American sailing? I mean, it has to. It, it, I mean, it comes for sure. Down. Yeah, it, it has but how? to. Because, like, how does that kick through? Well, it, it, it's like when I was at the last... Um, the last surfboard room show. Yep. Uh, I had this young, young shaper from Morocco. He's an American Scott. Anyhow, and Ryan Birch and Sharma. And we all went back and we had a bit of a, we had a really big night out uh, on the tequilas and fuck, we went home to, to the, the Derby house with Ryan where Ryan stays. And they asked me that question, Chats. Yeah. And I just just went, okay, think of it in these terms, okay? If you were thinking five years, ten years ahead, yeah, how would you think about uh, surfboards? Now, there's, there's, three, there's three possible options. You can go slower, the same speed, or faster. So if in ten years we're going slower... We're probably all heroin addicts, yeah? We're on the fentanyl by that stage, yeah? If we're going to go the same speed, well, nothing's changed. And I look at it and go, you know what? I'm going to try and build boards faster that carve the shorter radiuses. So if you were thinking, if you were thinking uh, in a contest at trestles, so instead of doing three huge turns, having the speed to do four, at really high speeds and do big carves, transitions, there can be no slide anywhere in your boards. As soon as that, that tail slides and cavitates, you've got to recover. When I see that, I see the board not working and you're recovering. It looks spectacular, but that's why John John surfing is he can come up, he turns a little bit earlier than everyone else. You know, it's, it's really simple if you analyse why John John those incredible rail calves. I slow his surfing down. He buries it to the nose just about. The whole rail's engaged. But he's up there a little bit earlier and he uses the curve of the wave and the power of the wave to get back down. So he's doing the smoothest, cleanest turns. And if you went, if he was going five kilometres an hour faster, he's going to do four, not three. Therefore, he has an advantage in his equipment. I think what we've seen is... is um, there hasn't been a lot of design work done on the tool boards, yeah? And that's what we're seeing everywhere. People are, you know, I've been talking to Eric and uh, can I say it? Yeah. There's a real Thanks. thing at the... Yeah, okay. 
there's a real thing going on at the moment, you know, and I, I hope Eric forgives me for this, but this is a conversation we've been having for a few years. There's a whole bunch of people, pros, who are sponsored by their shape, by their shapers, by their brands. But when they go to Hawaii, they have to get boards, Hawaiian-made boards, you know, guns and mini step-up boards and stuff like that. And Eric's jumped off that now. He won't do it anymore. He doesn't want to do it because what it is is we think and we've got a, a very good friend, and I'm not going to mention his name, but you'll work it out. It's pretty simple, you know. I had him, I've been talking to him this week, and his son was trying to get some boards off Eric. And basically, Eric and I have had a discussion where, well, he's already got his shaper. And every when you pick your shaper, yeah, wouldn't it be nice that your shaper could shape a four, six kids' boards to a 10, six gun? And that's what you ride. It's like in motorsport and all other sports. If you're on the McLaren Mercedes, Mercedes team, you're on the Mercedes team. If you're on the Ferrari team, you're on the Ferrari team. You don't get to go to the next race and go, you know what, Those, if you're the Ferrari team, I'm going to use a Mercedes motor. Or if you're on a motorbike, you're going to go, yeah, I don't know, I think I'll go to a KTM and get off the Ducati. You know, and that's one of the things in surfing where I think a lot of shapers uh, are very limited in what they can shape. And the conversation right now is, is well, what really is happening in Hawaii? And, you know, and all, all credit to him, Wade Takura is out there and he chases, you know, all the, the pros out there. But for me... Every surfer surfs a little bit different. And when you make custom boards, it's, even when you get a pre-shape, that last 20% that you can shape and change is how you fit, how you, you customise it for someone who's back foot, front foot, tall and skinny, chunky monkeys like me or Ross, you know. There's a complete different formula. And that's why when you look at, you look at John John, doesn't seem to have any board problems, does he? He's been with the same shaper for how long? 20, 20 years or more? Yeah, 25 years. Yep. How long's Italo been with um, Timmy? 11 years. What, eh? 11 years since he was 14. 11 years. Okay. Okay. Let's go to Donny Kobianka and, um, and uh, Medina. Uh, for 13 years. 13 years. Okay. Can't now let's go and have a look. But let's have a look at Philippe Toledo. Oh, with Marciano. Ooh, Come I on. Been, I haven't been following Felipe. I reckon maybe 11, nine years. It's, it's a decade, roughly a decade. So Good. what's the point? The point is all of those guys have had great shapers, great shapers, customise the boards over a period of a decade to where – do you ever see Italo have board problems? Do you see Gabs have board no. problems? Gabby can never have a problem with Johnny Kabianka. Well, you don't, you know, and he's one of the most talented shapers on the fucking planet. But, he, you know, there's no real cash in for him, whereas Timmy's got this really good following. You know, Timmy's one of the most magic human beings on the fucking planet, you know. And, uh, you know, we work great together. You know, we, we, go, we go from tears holding each other, hanging on because we've had some heavy shit go down or we're talking through some heavy shit. We jump in and Timmy will shake half a board and he'll fucking come in and give me a new pad. 
And, and the synergy that you get, that's what I miss here in Victoria. The synergy I get from those guys, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, that's how we create and make things better. But coming back to those surfers, so if you're, you're going to get surfboards off Marciano or uh, any of the other shapers or John or that, it's, you've got to remember the number one factory rider, the boards have been built around them. It was the same with DH and Mick. The same with JS and Parker. Those models were built around those guys. Yeah, I know on Beach Grid, I have a bit of a thing with Negs on this one, you know, where he thinks that Gabs could could, uh, actually win on anything. It's about their confidence in their equipment. They go out and they know they've got excellent equipment to match. Yeah? Yeah. So everybody else goes, I want to do that too. And you go, well, you fucking surf different. You might have to have your fin a little bit forward or back. You might be able to, to you know, like there's so many different variables. And, you know, you've got to remember when I had Taj and Margot and, you know, Ross and fucking Barton and I had one of the biggest teams of all time when I was in Western Australia, all their boards were different. All their boards were different. I, no one could surf Margot's boards. It's like Tom Carroll's boards. No one can surf Tom Carroll's boards. Everybody could surf Tom Curran's boards, you know. So what you're actually doing is, and that's what I had to do, was I had to create a whole model for Margot, which was basically dead straight in the tail. Taj had big flip in the tail. When I worked with Trent Munro, I had to, he didn't need that much flip because he was the, he was the smallest, chunkiest monkey I've met. His power ratio to fucking... It was just unbelievable. So, so you know what I mean? So that's the beauty of, of making custom surfboards is being able to customise it to the, to the actual surfer you're working for until they come back and go, fuck, this board's good. And then they eventually come back with, should be after three boards. Okay? That's, I've never failed under three boards. The third board, they go, this is the best board I've ever had. I don't even have to think when I surf. And to me, that's the lost art, you know. And, you know, I'm going to get into trouble and there'll be, there's going to be a couple of shapers have a go at me, but as if, if I give a fuck. There is no fucking reason why you should shape 10 or 20 boards for a guy and send him out there to pick the best two or three. You either don't know what you're doing or you're fucking lazy or both in that you won't work with someone and develop their specific model. And that's my point with Marciano. That's my point with fucking Johnny. That's my point with Pizel um, and Timmy. And those four surfers, to me, are the best four surfers in the world. I think we'd pretty much, we, we, we give that. They're the four surfers at the moment, really are head and shoulders. Three foot and under for Felipe, though. Oh, hey. Yeah, no. I, my big thing there is, is that wave at Jay Bay which was a solo on three foot and under, mate. That fucking wave at Joe Bay was six feet. There is no one in the history of competition has surfed a fucking wave that good where he did that double air. Nick and I talked through that wave. We worked backwards from when he flicked off, when he did his two airs, then he ripped the fuck out of that wave. We gave him a 4.5 for the end of his wave. So then you have to go, we've got 5.5 left for each air. (laughs) <laughs> so in actual fact, I think we came up with 22 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> that was a remarkable wave. And 
I'll, I'll say it probably no one else has said it, but um, the board that Felipe surfed in the final on the final day had real problems. The board that he surfed at J-Bay, if you go back and revisit that wave, the flow and the carry and everything, there was not one stutter. There was not one moment of slide. Everything just worked out perfect on that wave. And I look at that wave and his equipment on that wave was perfect. Whereas when I watched him surf, he had moments of absolute brilliance because he was surfing a quad. It didn't quite have the transition and smoothness through the transitions. And then it looked a little bit underdone, the ball. You know, it looked like he was overpowering it a bit. So I actually, for the first time, watching watch it, I even saw it in the pool a little bit. And I only watched highlights for it. I mean, you know. You didn't, you didn't watch all the pool event? I think it was watched every head, like everyone else. <laughs> I can't watch it. Yeah. Now, now, one of the great, one of the things I love, because it, 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 it's picking and choosing waves. You know, and, and the unpredictability of a heat where someone at the end, if they need a 9.9, they need a 10. And, you know, I've seen that. We've seen that. I've seen that happen all the last few decades. You know, people getting 10 seconds to go and Curran used to do it nonstop. You know, like just be double comboed like against Sonny Garcia, double comboed. Tom Curran, double comboed uh, by Sonny at Beeritz, two minutes to go. And fucking Tom smashed him. Tom actually got a right down the beach, got a 7.5. He was double comboed. He went out to the rock, caught a left, and went down the left and got an 8.2. And when you look at the score sheet, Sonny already went in at the two-minute mark. <laughs> the reason I mention this, the reason I mention it, because Sonny had a, uh, uh, a black, what, not, what do they call The CI board, the black widow. Oh, the black like beauty. Black Beauty, that's it, yeah, the Black Beauty. And he had this favourite contest board for 18 months and he wrapped it round the podium, not once but quite a few times. And Sonny had to come to me the next day and go, is it repairable? And I went, no, mate. He said, fuck, I just lost my favourite competition board. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? So, so when you've sort of seen all those... That, that's the unpredictability that we love about surfing, you know, and not always the best surfer wins. Who fucking cares? You know, it's, it's entertainment. We seek entertainment. So coming, coming back to that whole, the, everybody to me, a lot of people out there don't work at their surfboards. They're not really trying to make a quiver of surfboards. They just seem to be now specialising in a certain certain area, you know. And, and to, you know, I, I, I understand why everybody with Toledo, I've seen him surf six foot waves pretty fucking good. Yeah, well, I don't mean six, I don't mean three foot and under, but I just mean, you know, proper heavy waves like JB. Yeah. What is six foot isn't a proper heavy wave. Yeah, but you've also got to understand that, um, you know, when we look back at history and you look at Mick and Joel, they couldn't surf lefts to save themselves. But as soon as they put cloud break, and um and Chopu on the fucking tour. What did they do? They went and trained they, there. They went and spent a couple of years no, training didn't. their fucking guts out, trying to work out how to surf this shit. <laughs> that's to me what that's all Toledo needs to do. I don't think it's a lack of balls or anything like that. Can he find that Anzac spirit though? Huh? Can he find that Anzac spirit though? I don't know, mate. You know, it, it, it's sort of it's a it's a funny thing with Toledo. Um, 
in that he's got his family and he's got everything around him and yeah, he's driven, but it's does he really want to be and need to be a world champion? Yeah, he'd love to be in that, but he seems to have a pretty big entourage. He seems a lot more family orientated. I mean, look at Gabs right now and all the bullshit that's going on there. Jesus. The fantastic thing about Gabs is, it's, is I've always liked the kids since the first time I met him because I went, this kid's a fucking competitor. This kid's like the ultimate Australian was. I'll fight you, bite you, you know, in a heat and fucking I'll do anything and everything that, 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 that happens. It's a bit like bugs and going back to that whole era, you know, like there was pretty heavy shit went down in the old days, you know. Anyhow, so I look at Gabs and I just sort of go, yeah, Gabs. Fuck. I lost, I lost my train of thought then. Okay. <laughs> Philippe. Philippe being not wanting it enough. Well, yeah, but Gabs, he's driven. He was driven by Charlie. And then you look at what, you know, I've got so much respect for Kingy, mate. Like, fucking hell, you know. And what he's done is just brought a little bit, hey, enjoy the moment. Let's set it up. Let's get out there and a smile on your face. When you lose or, or you win... It's a fucking smile time. Have a look at the life you're leading. Have a look at the life you're living. You've got a new wife. Um, you know, you've, you, everything's just how good's life. And that's why when I read about the Gabs wouldn't mind having a year off, you can sort of understand it, you know, because you, you spend your whole life just insulated on this tour. And the tour has become, I don't know, it seems really claustrophobic in, in the way you have to talk and the way you have to, you know, the WSL sort of is basically censored. You know, there's no other sport in history where where you're not allowed to say anything negative about the surfers or their equipment. I mean, go and fucking listen to an NFL game. Go and listen to a basketball game where they're criticising and fucking you've got ex-champions there, you know, just going, hey, man, it doesn't look like he ducked his head or blah, 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 blah. And that's part of the sanitization of surfing. And, you know, we talk about valves and all this sort of stuff. But you've got to, I mean, valves have sort of saved the surfboard industry in a way. You know, they'll pay top dollar. <laughs> Anyhow, because they want God to be cool. Huh? God bless the valves. Oh, yeah, mate. God oh, bless Torquay. God bless Torquay, mate. I mean, I look at it. Uh, you know, I've got such a limited amount of production space that I only do high price stuff, which means I can't make any boards for, for, for local people or people who want a deal or anything like that. So I've been really restricted in that area. But you know what? It's sort of enjoyable too because, you know, I'm just dealing with people who just want a, want a good, easy surfboard to ride. And then I've got all my guys that are friends that I love making surfboards for. So, you know, there's there's some people who are friends that have asked me for surfboards and I just go, no, especially for guns. And they go, fuck, because they're going to fucking paddle out and hassle me. Yeah. Why would I make them that good? They'd be, be too terrified. Go and get a fucking... No, no, oh, no, mate. Is, I've got a bit older. I'm, I'm a lot more I'm a lot more mellow now and a lot more gentle in the water. Well, mostly, oh. mostly there's another story. <laughs> but, you know, when you look at surfing now, guys, it, it there seems to me there's just this, you know, like everyone's rehashing wings and channels and everything like this, and, and you, they're able to get away with it. And what I want to know is where the new designs, how are we going to go faster, how are we going to occur, what, what are people doing, you know, and 
the good news is is that we've got some shapers out there, you know, um, that first of all are just trying to make money and get back on their feet. And, you know, I'm talking about Timmy and John and, uh, you know, Paisel, that is. I mean, Matt rules it over there with his, you know, he's got the huge loss thing going. And then you've got Johnny, who I think is making ends meet. It's certainly not cashing in on 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 it like Timmy. I think fuck. I don't know. I can't remember. I think Timmy could have a thousand back orders, <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and, and that's what you know has sort of lifted Timmy back up, and lifted Faisal up. You know, we you know, I can tell you a story about Zach and I went to Hawaii ten years ago, maybe more, eleven years ago, Hawaii in the mainland to buy boards. And I knew John was struggling a little bit. And this was before John John was just getting wild cards, you know. And I went, went, come on, we'll go and see Paisel. And he went, who? And I went, well, no, nah, we're going to see him. Yeah, and Zach walked in and looked at it and went, wow, this is cool. And I said, yeah, he's got this young surf, John John Florence. And we were just starting to hear about him. And Zach and I told him, you know, have a look at this. You're going to sell this shit. So Zach said, I'll take every surfboard you've got. <laughs> Then Paisel actually uh, fucking went, nah, you can't have that one. I really like that. And then he went through and he got this thing. And I remember I don't know, it was a big payday. And Zach pulled out his big roll of cash and peeled off a few grand. And I remember it to this day. And, and Paisel went, fuck yeah, I can make two extra boards for the John John for trestles. <laughs> no, no, when, when, you, when you see guys come from that level, you know, and about three or four years ago when I was shaping a lot in California with Timmy, you know, and I was trying to give all my boards to Timmy to glass and that to keep him afloat. We're talking about four to six boards a week. And to know how gifted Timmy is and, and he's got a, a heart 15 times the size of Texas, mate. You know, he's he's like he really is. He's like a brother, you know. And I don't say that about a lot of people. I can tell you. And to watch him go to where he is now, and he, he called me up. We speak to each other every couple of weeks. He called me up, and he was so proud that he could actually pay off a whole bunch of debt. You know, and 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 that's they're the people, you know that. Uh, I just love talking to, or like Eric, Eric's, Eric's, you know, like you think of it in Formula One, a lot of people in France are saying that Eric was like Alan Prost, the professor, okay? Eric Arakawa. Yeah, Eric Arakawa. They could never work out how we're such good friends and have been since 1981. And they go, and I'm the centre. I'm the centre. I'm the crazy fucking guy that's just charging around there at a million miles an hour. And even though there's not the competition, but that's not a bad an analogy because the other one is people use is Keith Richards. And I say, there you go. yeah, okay. <laughs> I haven't had a blood transfusion yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I'm keep asking questions, guys. So my, How long have we got? Are we nearly done or? Oh, sorry. I was going to say, Morris, um, you've made millions of dollars over the years. Uh, have you invested your money wisely? Fuck yeah. Ask all the people I gave it to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot of people get confused about this, you know? About, uh, you know, you, you see it on the forum sometimes on Beach Group where I get accused of. I've made it the gravy train and I'm sort of rich and retired. Um, as 
two years ago, I owned a car. Yeah. And then I blew the motor up this year. So I've got a borrowed car. I don't have any assets. Um, I don't have much money in the account. I owe oh, keep, little, keep talking on the mic. A, a little bit of money. Yep. I have not much. And I've never been happier because I've had the millions of dollars and I was just a dickhead with it. Uh, I didn't have any respect for money and I don't think I have. But, um, you know, I don't own a house. I've got a couple of guitars, great guitars. Uh, um, I don't think you would know anybody that shapes, anybody that shapes that is has as less assets or money as me, right? In fact, I just saw a thing from um, Neil Purchase, powered by Porsche. And I thought that was really funny. Powered by Porsche. Fuck, how did he get Porsche? And I was talking to Eric and uh, Carlitos, my manager over there, and I go, I'm going to do a thing powered by poverty. And, um, and, and poverty is, is like it's a state of mind, you know. Uh, it keeps me hungry. I've got to shape. Like I'm just talking to France. I've got to go back to France next year. I'm going to do a trip to Portugal. I'm going to go and help. Kai boarding in Morocco. I want to go down this surfboard places setting up in Morocco. And I, my whole thing is just teaching and giving back. And the money, well, when I don't have it, then I go and get it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.